Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 117 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen expectations in life can sometimes seem very arbitrary but in fact we have much more control in setting those expectations than we think and dallin cuff knows that firsthand. He would play basketball at Columbia University and was named team captain his senior season before eventually embarking on a sports broadcasting career. In various roles in the New York City area as a basketball analyst, studio host, and reporter, he would then join NBC Sports Network in 2012 and Comcast Sports Net New England before joining ESPN in 2016 as a college basketball in-game and studio analyst. And in August of 2019, he would become an integral part of the launch of the ACC Network, where you can find him as an analyst and studio host. Here's episode 117 with Dallin Cuff. Dallin Cuff, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. So the question is, are you ready to give up Florida? For Connecticut? That's <laughs> <laughs> about it from Reading. It already pretty much happened. It's done, it's right? It's done. Yeah, we moved uh, about three weeks ago. Moved in late June. Uh, just getting settled in in temporary housing now. Bought a house um, up there. So just getting going through that process. First time buyer. So this uh Well, exciting times then. It's exciting. There's just all this crap that's got to go in. Of course. Into it, so. Well, you're adding like all the stressors in life. Exactly. All at one time, all right? One time. We're just New job. Pressure move. cooking. <laughs> Nine-month-old baby. Moving her around. It's everything. It's great. Yeah. I, I am happy for you, but I'm not envious in terms of <laughs> the move and all of that. We've yeah. moved a lot in our life yeah. and we're finally settled in Greenville, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. We're not moving for a while, so we're good, yeah. but I hope you enjoy the the experience, I guess, yeah, yeah. right? We're trying to. Yeah, I know you're excited, though. Yeah, we are. We are. I mean, I think working ACC Network is going to be great. Um, it's been fun the last couple of years being at ESPN, but that commute was pretty tough. Would fly from Florida to Bristol. Basketball season is there about five or six days a week, um, which my wife struggled with. And then having the baby by herself this year was just the. the yes, you left her time. alone. Yeah, right. She, which she reminds me of quite a bit too, and I, I apologize for it continuously because what do you want to do? Exactly. Um, so that was that was that was rough on her. It was hard on me, but way obviously way harder on her. Um, so now we can start to have, and in this industry, it's really, you know, you're continuing trying to find the right opportunity, the right place to be. And, and a lot of times you put off settling down, starting roots, starting a family and all those things kind of take a back seat. Um, so now having the opportunity to have not just this great broadcasting opportunity with the ACC network and ESPN and, and all these things we get to do there, but then have our family buy a house and start to set roots down and build and build out the rest of our life 
is, is exciting. To yeah, me. this is part of the plan. Yeah, I it guess. really is. Yeah. Now, was being a broadcaster, was that always something that you had in the back of your mind you wanted to do? Or did oh, yeah. this just come... Watching NBA and NBC back in the day, for those of us that remember that, yes. I just assumed I was going to go play in the NBA. And after that, I'd be a commentator calling the game. So it was, <laughs> it was that easy from the age of about like four to about 12. And then I'm like, All right, I'm pretty good. But I, I'm playing with some other dudes. There's some dude. Like once you start to get out, oh, 12, okay, that's not right. Let's say 14, 15. When you start like playing at a different level, you see. You start the, seeing the difference. Yeah, you start seeing the fact that I know I can play and I know it'll give me an avenue in college, but I'm probably not a pro. Can I go play in Europe? Yeah, and that, that could be an option. Not those type of things. But I then begin to realize now the broadcasting thing was always a passion or an interest, I should say. Um, senior year of college, I went, had an internship at the National Square Garden Network. I was work, went to Columbia, so I'm in New York City. So I'm working on campus, doing the normal campus job I had all the time on the weekdays. And I was a captain of the team, a senior, and coach was like, you have to be here. We have a young team. You have to be here for every workout. You can't miss anything. This internship thing. Yeah, you you're a do. leader on you this team. Do, you can do that Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it's at night. So I'd be, I'd be working all week, all week during the week. I'd work a kid out, too, and they paid me well to do that. And that helped, that helped other connections. So I was doing all these different jobs. And then I was working at MSG on the weekend from like 10 to 3 in the morning or so. Uh, Logging, I should say seven to about three in the morning. Logging game film, doing highlight packages, different things like that. Everybody there, miserable. On air, behind the camera, from the PAs all the way up. And I was like, man, this, maybe this isn't. And when you say miserable, what do you mean? I it mean, was a just... real negative, everybody's bad, negative attitude, negative, negative atmosphere. And I, what I didn't understand is how much they just went through a management change. There were layoffs apparently a couple weeks before I got there. This is all stuff I didn't understand. At the time, how yeah, much that affects outsider. the culture. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I'm coming to work in sports. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> and I come in and we're covering the Nets and, Met, Mets and the Yankees and the Metro Stars. Everybody's miserable. And I was just like, <laughs> like what wait is a second. This? Yeah. Yeah, so, and it was that time, too, is before the economy had melted down. So it was 2005. And every dude in there, they know I go to Columbia. And they're like, why are you in finance? What are you doing? <laughs> Meanwhile, all my buddies are in finance. And they all got signing bonuses for the summer. And they're doing this, that, and third, mm-hmm. making money. And, um, and it all sounds great, but I hate, I can hardly add. So that's, that put that away. Well, that's a problem that's an in issue. finance. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, maybe, maybe like going into business in some regard is a better fit. Maybe this isn't for me. So I went into, um, the guy, guy worked his son out. He was a CEO of a holding company that owned a bunch of marketing agencies. He was like a mentor of mine, put me in connection to all these different things. And so I get my first job out of school and it's working uh, in sports marketing. So I was like, okay, I'm still in the sports world, but I'm on the business side of it. Sponsorship marketing. So our first job was like working for Olympus was our client. And they had the U.S. Open and Fashion Week. So they gave me a car for the summer. I mean, driving out to U.S. Open. Then after that, Fashion Week. I mean, it was 22 years old. I'm like, this is it. This is, this is perfect. You made it. That wore off after about three months. Once those events ended and I started going to the office every day, I'm like, maybe this wasn't it. Um, at the same time, Columbia calls and they, they're going to start a radio station. And uh, we always had a, a, a student radio station was always covering us. Um, which let's just say my dad thought was less than stellar coverage when he listened to our games on the radio. And they had and the Jerry Recco, who works for CBS uh, Sports, has had a great career, um, but they were just bringing him as a play-by-play guy. And they're like, you want to be the analyst? It's like, all right, are you going to pay me? They're like, no. I'm like, all right, deal. Like, okay, <laughs> why, not? Like, why not? Right? I'm going to go to the games anyway. These are my best friends. We're still on the team. I got nothing else to do. Let's go. So uh, I decided to do it. First game is at Duke. So the first game I'm not playing at is at Duke. In the, 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 I think it was the 2K or the coaches versus cancer, like campus games. So I'm just like already just bummed, but like juiced up that I can't believe they're going to play Duke and I'm not and part you're of not it. I'm not on I'm the not, court. So I'm already having these like, like withdrawal symptoms going on. And we had a 50 minute fill before tip. I don't know why they bought the airtime so early, 
But after that, I was like, I'm locked in. All I was doing was talking hoops. I did my entire life with a guy that was really smart, led you down the right places, and it was great conversation. And we called the game. And I was just like, this is it. I got I to find a way to do this. It took me five years of saving money, having that as a side job, doing radio gigs, finding a way to get little TV things, and work your way up to finally quitting my job in 2011 and be like, I got to put the chips on the table. And it's worked out. But I took a gamble, just bet on myself to see if it would. I didn't think I would actually make every opportunity happen if I didn't quit my job. So I kind of had to make myself. Yeah, so you had to force yourself yeah, to so leave was, yeah. that so and I, yeah. take the chance. Yeah, so I had, basically 2010, I started a new agency. I was reporting to our CEO. They wildly overpaid me, which was great because I'm like, I'm going to be here for one year. I'm going to save my money, and then I'm going to eject. And I used some connections I had on that side. I used to work for Verizon. Verizon started doing Fios 1 games. So I knew the content managers. So I knew, I'm like, okay, I know him. Maybe I can plug into him. He, he gives me some games. And I started at MSG again. I started doing a couple games at MSGs. I knew some people there. I'm like, okay, man, I can make that work. And I did. I did Columbia's games, MSG, Verizon that first year. Cobbled it together. Um, and I think that was, yeah, without quitting my job, I would have continued to just do that job and maybe do a game every three or four weeks and, t- and try to explain it to my CEO. Be like, I have to leave to go to Long Island. I've got to call the Garden City Wontaw game at 5. But I'll be back in the office by 8. I'll finish the new business pitch at 4 a.m. I'll get it printed and we'll be at wherever, whoever we're pitching, Jose Cuervo, by 7.30 or whatever. So that, 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 the looks I got on my boss's face at times trying to explain this stuff, she's like, she was supportive. She's just like, what are you doing? It's like, what are, yeah, why? Why are you doing this? I think she knew once I started to do it, like toward the end, way before I quit, like when I told her it was like the least surprising thing in the world. She's like, I know, you have a passion elsewhere. You need to go find, follow that because this, this isn't it. You're doing a fine job, but this doesn't excite you. That stuff does, and I, I can tell, so go, go do your thing. Yeah, and that stuff excited you even if you weren't getting paid. That's where you knew it's, I mean, it is a cliche, but like right. when you go to a job, it doesn't feel like a job. Like, it's not work. Like, we put a lot of work into it, but when we're there and the camera's on, sure doesn't feel like work. It's just a lot of fun. And that was, I knew I had to find a way to try to make it work uh, professionally, and then it did. But there's this side, I mean, it, it's a hustle and a grind. And I think a lot of people who just see you on camera, like, oh, well, yeah, he, he just walked right in and, mm-hmm. and got it. But it's not like that. No. And that's, I mean, I look back at those MSG games and I'm thankful for them. A guy, Mike Quick, gave me the, like, he, he was one I interned for in the beginning, helped me get the first, like, internship. And then he was supportive from the very beginning of you know coaching you on how to be a broadcaster and that was like like doing those games help you learn some things but the one thing i treated was like I said, we did like a ninth grade girls game i treated that like it was the final four man i'm talking calling coaches <laughs> talking to players like shoot around like i was locked in like this, but that's i approached every game and still do like it's the most important game because it is because you especially when you're coming up you don't know who's going to see you don't know who's watching and you're trying to hone your craft you're, you're really trying to get better at what you're doing the only way you do that is to put everything into it and treat it like it is the final four. And that's what I did from the very beginning at those MSG games. It got me an opportunity. Um, and because of that, and because I only played at Columbia, I knew, I'm like, all right, I'm never work at ESPN as Baskelanus probably. They're never going to give me a chance. So I need to learn to have other skills. As I was going to pitch, you guys should want to make me a host, their exec producer was like, do you want to try to be a host? I'm like, sure. It's like, have you ever have a prompter? Never. <laughs> that first time. That was Is a... Is that co- difficult? Oh, it was a crap. I mean, it was... I hope the tape exists somewhere because it was. I was going to ask you, have you looked at it? It's like I couldn't talk or read. (laughs) It was a total mess. Um, That's a problem. It was really bad. It was really, really bad. And they they had these ideas where they'd put us in the D block at the end of shows to do like promos. And we just ran it live. So that promo read was like the worst promo read in the history of promo reads. (laughs) Um, So, and I came in all summer that summer and they're like, 
We're not going to pay you, but you need to get better. So I came in like three or four days a week. I'd drive out to Long Island, and I'd come back and, and lived in New York City at the time. Drive out there, do two, three, four shows. And I credit the staff that was there, the crew that was there, that was willing to let, just keep re-racking shows for me, to let me do it. So when we hit the fall, I was comfortable in what I was doing. I was learning the content of New York City. I was covering New York City sports, just in general. We hosted like basically a sports center type show. And then I'd be an analyst on every other region show. They divided it by like Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut. So I would still do wear both hats on different shows. Um, but that type of you know, commitment and having guys like Quick trying to teach you how to, how to do it and do it well was important. And then that kind of, that was, that was a game changer because that allowed me to have a skill set to get to uh, Boston, CBS Sports Network, NBC Sports Boston was the regional network I went to. So they saw me there. Um, I left the NBC Sports was the big break too. They, they got the Ivy League basketball package. So that was my chance to get a national TV because I was like, this is, if, you, if this isn't mine, that's right. it's got to be mine. It's, it's, it's Ivy League basketball. So yeah, my agent who I just met, Amy Leone was great. And she called up Dan Steer, another guy that was instrumental in my like, career development. And was like, I got a guy. Like, and she's like, give me your pitch. I'm like, you want to give it to me orally or write it? She's like, write it. I'm like, perfect. I started, I, was just, I wrote out like, I don't know, it was like a three-page email on why this should be my job. And then all I know is I got a call like two days later, like, they're giving me the job. Do we have any negotiation on rate? No. You're getting paid. I said, done. <laughs> it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? <laughs> done. Let's go. Well, it's, obviously, you put in a lot of reps, and that helped you from that standpoint. And, I mean, it's the same as, I know you can equate it back to your basketball days yep. playing. Yep. You've got to put in the reps. Yeah. And that's the only way you're going to get better. But going back to the early days for you before all of this and some of those times where you start realizing that, one, you are a good player, but maybe there are some players that are better than you. What are your first memories of gravitating towards sports? As, as long as I can remember, honestly. My pops played uh, Duquesne back in the 60s and was actually drafted by the, the Knicks and the Army in the same month. Next, he got a notice to go to training camp, and then he got drafted by the Army two weeks later. So in our house, we used to have the Army notice and the, and the Knicks contract there. Um, so that wow. Was, yeah, so he... Uh, he 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 didn't swallow. He swallowed that pill and was fine with it. I don't know how. I, I, I don't I was, either. I was like that's how are you not bitter? Because this is 1967. It was the like October November of 67, I believe. And um, that would be very his, difficult. Yeah, did his three years that he, he had to do in tour, but he knew he was never going to go. Apparently, there were four championships. It, it, you played basketball championships. And they won money for the fort. So the first one they won, and he scoring like 35 points a game. General was his buddy, and he knew he was never going to go. Okay. Which at least he was safe, but at the same time. You look at your life path. I mean, the Knicks won a championship in 1971. Not to say he would have been on the team then, but I was just but, like, yes, yeah, but that's 70. one of those things that yeah. you just think about. Yeah. So he he was always into sports and basketball in particular was his thing. But loved football and loved loved baseball, loved everything. So growing up, big boxing fan too. So I remember I was always like shadow box with an orange peel on my mouth at like three years old. Act <laughs> like I got hit. The mouthpiece is out. And like commentate that a little bit too. I guess we'll look right. back on it. Down goes yeah, Frazier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Had a great time with it. Um, so I always loved it, and, and I had a natural. Affinity. I was good. I was good at, at pretty much all sports I played. Not to sound like a, a, you know, an arrogant person, but I was good, and that makes it easier when you're good at something to keep wanting to do something. Um, and I watched my brothers. My older brother was played at the Air Force Academy. My oldest brother was a, a Division three basketball player. So the, I mean, it just I was just following the path that was set out for me, and yeah. having them be in front of me also the same thing made was that motivation. Yeah, absolutely. My oldest brother had all these records and the scoring record for season and the career and all this sh- all this stuff. And I wanted to uh, 
of course, I wanted to break those. Like, I was obsessed with that. Yes. And then, we, then we moved when I was 14. Moved to Florida. <laughs> so, so all these plans, I'm like, I'm going to shatter all this stuff. And then we're, we're gone. I'm like, whoa. And, it was, and that was actually, that was a good learning experience, too. Just that, that point in your life at 14 to go when you think you have your life all set up. Everybody in the town knows you. Western Pennsylvania basketball is not that good, but you haven't realized that yet. You moved to Florida. Athletes are better. Dudes are bigger, faster, stronger. It was a whole different world. Every team has Division One players on it. Western Pennsylvania, there might be two guys in like the entire section that go to go to Division One. So that actually made me a way better player. But going through that experience of like having no friends, not knowing anybody, going into high yeah, school—how difficult was that? Because that's it a, was hard. That's a tough time to move at yeah. that age. It was hard, and when you look back, it's life experiences. Because those first month or so before we started basketball, like our coach Joe Blasnales would have you start basically preseason conditioning if you didn't play football. Um, or soccer, I think, was a fall sport then, but I can't remember. If you didn't play another sport, if you wanted to play basketball, you'd start preseason conditioning around like mid-September, leading up to the first practice. We'd run, we'd pick up, and play pickup, and and lift and stuff. Um, but before that started, you know, you're sitting at the lunch table by yourself. Nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody cares. It's just like I hate it here, and I would just be out there working on my game every day at the apartment complex we lived in. And then soon as hoop starts. We have like our first pickup game. And after that, all of a sudden, people want to talk to me. And it's, it's like it was a, it was a real realization because I was always that kid in middle school that, you know, you're the, you're, if you're good at an athlete, an athlete in most towns, people may know you or you're, you have more friends or all that. It was like I saw the complete other side and then realized this whole thing is BS. It's like <laughs> nobody cared what I could do. They're all of a sudden I can score some baskets and like my life is different at school. And I was like, this is... This is just a bunch of junk. So the rest of I went through high school, I think, with a much different impression of what high school is all like. A much more real of like, here's what people deal with in high school. I guess at a younger age, and I think people may look back on it. I think yeah, it had to be eye opening. It was, and it was. I think it was helpful for me, like developing as a, as a young person for understanding how people, how hard that thing is for people at a young age. You, this is your little world, and your world seems like a nightmare. Um, can affect you, and then obviously seeing the other side of it, and, and kind of realizing that. So from a personal standpoint, developed a lot. And then from a basketball standpoint, I would have never had the opportunity maybe to be a Division One player if I didn't go to school there. I don't know if I'd have developed as well. I don't know if I'd have been playing. I definitely was playing as good a people. So it was a whole different element. So that was a, a great uh, blessing in disguise to move down there. And did you only play basketball for the high school? Yeah, that was one other thing that I could look back on. Now that all the era of specialization stuff is being written that you shouldn't specialize. <laughs> so I was like, I was in that era. So this is like 98. So we're coming in the time of you've got to do this. And, you, and AAU is becoming real big. So that became the thing. So I went, instead of, I could have, uh, Olympic, Olympic Development Program Soccer in Pennsylvania would have been the avenue I took if I didn't play basketball. Football was in the mix, but I think I never, I loved football, I liked playing football. But looking back on it, I think if, if I did it all over again, I should have played soccer. If there's a million 6'3 shooting guards running around. If you're a 6'3 <laughs> center back and you can run and jump and read the game, you probably have a better shot of being a pro somewhere. And there's a million leagues around the world that actually pay you and all this stuff. But I didn't, I'd never, the soccer didn't enter our family's purview. Like I scored a lot of goals and stuff. But, you know, we know what the basketball path is. We know what the football path is. I'm just going to follow my brothers and with my dad. Of course. And that's yeah. what we did. Um, so, yeah, so I played other sports. But then at 14, I quit right before we went to – that was last year I played football and soccer. So I played just hoops when I got down there. They wanted me to play football. The football team asked all the time because I used to catch passes from our quarterback was our two guard. But he was – wide receiver I would have been and they just uh, I was like you guys it's like three yards in a cloud of dust all day like you never let Chris <laughs> yeah. throw why do I want to do this so exactly like, I'm never going to get the ball I was like I'm gonna go hoop like at least I know I'm gonna get the ball over there all the time as selfish as that is but that's just real I was like I don't want to get out there and play football in this system so I did just stuck with hoops and that was my thing in high school yeah and my big thing too uh in terms of basketball versus football or soccer is 
Hey, the one thing I also loved about basketball, it's indoors. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about any elements or yeah, yeah, of that yeah. nature. Playing in freezing rain in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes. Was, was tough. That's no fun. Now, do you think you would have had the same type of passion, though, for some of these other sports? Say soccer. You, you talk about maybe there was a better opportunity yeah. to look at a pathway of soccer, but would you have been as engaged I think that's, that's a really good question because I look back on a revisionist history. Now I'm a huge soccer fan and have been the last you know, 12, well, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, you call games. Yeah, so I'm a, I will for the ACC Network and I call for other leagues, uh, professional leagues. And, I, yeah, I love soccer. But when I look back on it, how to train, did I love the training? I like to play. And I like to score and I like to play. Like, but you're, I, don't, I don't think it would have been the same. You're probably right. Like I was following at the time the thing I was most passionate about, what I'd want to do my whole life. What I thought was I want to be the Division One basketball player. That's what I want to do first. Once I realized the NBA was probably, you know, as I said, not going to, not maybe not in the cards. Um, but that's a great question. That's probably right. I probably should let that revisionist history go because it probably wouldn't have panned out the same way. And I don't have any complaints. I'm happy where I ended up. Oh yeah, it's just, no, you're, you're, it is your just, pathway it's just different is very good so far. Now, from that perspective, though, in terms of getting to Columbia, and so what was that process when you start having that realization that yeah, I'm a pretty good player mm-hmm. and I have an opportunity to at least play in college. And then starting the recruiting process. For me, it was, it was, it was interesting because I broke my wrist the day before our first game junior year. I was dunking and flew off the rim. And I came down vertically and, and broke my left wrist at the time and both sides of it. Um, so I missed basically the entire junior year. So I came back with like, I don't know, three or four games left, played, I think went to state playoffs, maybe won a game. I don't remember what happened, but it was, it was real short. And then... Uh, played AAU that summer, was playing, and things were going pretty well, but I still wasn't 100%. My body was still had, like, it just wasn't right. So then I didn't have a ton of things going on. There were some, like, the academies were looking at me, the different um, service academies. Um, Dartmouth called early on, a bunch of Division II schools. Um, Davidson was like a preferred walk on situation. So I went to my senior year with not really knowing what's going on. Other than I, I want to play, I got to play well, and maybe somebody will come along. So after like three or four games, Columbia called in like December or January or something like that. And they start talking and they see some of the film and they like stuff. And they're like, all right, well, you should come on a visit and once the season's over. So I came there. Um, I don't know why we took so long to get it set up, but I didn't go till like April like 15th, 12th. So I still didn't know where well, we were going. Oh, that's late. Yeah. So it was really late. And like I was still kind of up in the air and we were talking to different places, but it really was, there weren't many options. It wasn't like I was real sought after. Um, and then went on campus. Armand Hill was the coach at the time. He really believed in me. I said I wanted to be there. The next day, sent my admission stuff. I was in a couple days later. I know the scandal stuff is going on, so I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't say how easy it was, but it was pretty right. quick. I'll tell you what, the kids at Columbia did not appreciate my admission story, given how tough it is to get into school there. Now, I had the scores. I, I was, my grades were good. It wasn't like there was anything off board, um, but I could shoot a jump shot. So That's right. Go. Um, and, and it was, it was I, I thank him a lot for giving me that opportunity believing in me and I played a lot of our games my freshman year and we were horrible my freshman year um, he was let go at the end of that year Joe Jones came in who's now the coach at BU started to turn around the program and it just it, it put us in a really good spot and for me personally and professionally I if you asked me if I had gone anywhere else I don't know I think I'd probably want to go right back there what I've wanted to maybe not get hurt senior year what I want to score more points make more baskets yeah but I think I would have wanted to do it there yeah so you talk about the revisionist history so even knowing what you know you still would have chosen that path at, at Columbia, even though it had to be tough that first season, though. Yeah, we were 2-25. and 25. Yeah, We've never had a worse season, uh, a worse period of my life athletically and a better period, like, socially and, like, educationally. So I was going through, 
First of all, I didn't even know what a midterm was. I went to school and I was like, this girl walks into my room. It's one of my good friends at the time living on our floor. And she's like, we have a midterm tomorrow. I'm like, what is that? She's like, we're being tested on all the literature stuff we've read. It's a literature humanities class. You can like read passages and know that Odysseus said this and, and King Lear said this or whatever. And I was like, holy crap. Not only did I read all this stuff, I don't know what's going yeah, on. I don't even so, understand it. So right? it, was, it, was, it was a crash course in, in, in everything. And to, to see and meet people from different walks of life that I had no... The amount of money that's at that school and also the amount of unique backgrounds we have people all over the world and the capabilities they have and how smart they are and unique they are. It was, like, it was just eye-opening in every way, shape, or form. Did you feel overwhelmed? Yeah, I, I, mean, I was overwhelmed just because academically I was just trying to keep my head above water and really try to understand. It took me till pretty much, I'd say, all freshman year to, to kind of get it and understand it and then going to sophomore year really get what I needed to do academically to give me enough time to also put in everything I want to do athletically and have all the goals there or try to achieve all the goals there, uh, as well as have to work, too, and make money so I can live in New York. So that was it, was, it was a lot. It was a time management camp more than anything else when you look back on it, having to do things in a certain manner to make sure that everything, you know, was trying, attempted to be maximized. So you were working? I would work in the off-season. So I'd work, um, basically, the Office of General Counsel from April through pretty much October, uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year. Well, that's no joke then in terms yeah. of time management. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. But it was, um, it was, it was I had to do it. I think it taught me a lot. Um, but that, I think that, you, that whole experience of that school, and there are other schools like it. Everybody has passion for their place. But like being in New York with that type of energy, with the people we had, like I just, I loved everything about it. And minus the fact we went 2-25. and 25. Anyway, <laughs> I Would I have wanted to yes. win more games? <laughs> yes. Well, but unfortunately, that doesn't work out. But when you look back at it, and obviously, again, it's everything is everything. Uh, what's it ends well, or goes well, that ends well, or whatever yes. it is. Yeah. You know, so uh, things have ended, not ended, but where I'm at now, I can look back and say that confidently. If you asked me that three or four years ago, like, would you rather played at UConn when they won? Would you rather walked on at UConn and say you like Ryan Thompson was an Australian that played there, and I go work at UConn camp? And I'd be like, this guy ain't good. <laughs> so sorry to blow him up, but he, I'm like, you ain't any good. Um, and I would play there and be fine, hold my own, and be like, I could easily be on this team. I would get many minutes, but I could be on the team and win a championship. But would you want to do that, or would you want to go and have the experience that I had? And I think three or four years ago, I would have been like, well, I'd probably play at UConn to help my job right now. It makes everything. My first agent in the business, we remember sat down. I'll leave him nameless. He's now a, a talent guy at one of the networks, but he's great. Um, he's like, you played at Columbia. I can't sell that. It's like, well, you knew really the deal. Like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> He's like, I can't sell it. He was new in the business. He was trying to find a way. It's not an easy sell. I get that. I'm like, just get me in the room. He didn't do that very well. The next agent did. And then, but I think my point is, now knowing where I'm at and where I'm trying to go, and I do think a lot of credit goes to ESPN, being willing to say, okay, we don't care necessarily that you played at Columbia. We don't care that you didn't score 1,000 points. We don't. If you can analyze the game and you can communicate and you can educate and entertain... We'll take it. If you're going to give insight that other people don't know because you did play the game, maybe you didn't win a championship, but you, you know the deal, that gave me the opportunity to get where I'm at. Now, four years ago, I probably would have thought, man, i got to play it like UConn or Syracuse to get that shot. But they've made a shift, I think, as a company in recent years to be much more about who the person is, not where they played. Um, to inform yeah, the content is more important yeah. than yeah. anything. And, sure. and I truly believe also that... Um, Part of the maturation process in life is going through some of these things and having the realization, you know, as you start maturing, that some of the things that you might not have thought were at the best during that time yeah. actually shape you more than some other things. 100%. So, 
facing some adversity yeah. that you know shaped you more than necessarily you just sitting on the bench at a winning program. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. I think I think the values we learned and the commitment and the fact that you you can do everything right and you can put everything you've got into it, all the preparation, and sometimes it just doesn't work. That's right. And you've got to you've got to go back to the drawing board and do the exact same thing again and pound away, and then maybe it will work. But you can't can't cut any corners. You can't shortcut it because maybe something didn't work out. Also, how how, how teams work and seeing seeing the functions and, and dysfunction that freshman year. We're gonna we've talked, talked with multiple people in the business about writing a book or maybe doing a podcast about it or a video. You should. Like, I mean, it is a, it's a it's a dark comedy. It is like it's like it is it is really hilarious in a painful painful way. And we've crossed paths with a lot of people that were coaches or players that remember that team. And it's always like, oh god, were you guys bad? And they'll all have a story of like how bad the game was or what happened here. Um, that would be interesting. But I did learn a ton from that year and from all four of those years. Yeah, and you mentioned also like one of the things that you're proud of for yourself is just that you take a lot of pride in your work and being a professional and treating everything like it is the final four. Yeah. Where does that come from? Is that in your DNA or did you learn that? I, I think it's learned. I think I think my, my father and mother were great examples of it. Dad worked like just as hard as he possibly could. Mom had, was a teacher for 30 years, worked as a travel agent at nights and five kids. And cook dinner every, almost every night, or, or somehow dinner was dinner was set up, or was in the kitchen, was in the in the. You didn't know it how was it somewhere, happened, but yeah. it was there. When you look back, I'm like, you really were Superman. Like this is ins- <laughs> Superwoman. This is insanity. I have one kid, and I can't handle it. I'm hardly around. That's, that's, so it's. I, I mean, I look back at that, but she's she's still working now. She's 75. That's just built into her DNA. And my dad has passed away. Uh, actually, it'd be seven years ago tomorrow. Um, oh, wow. But he was—he set a great example for how to work and how to how to operate and how how, to, how you need to be committed to doing things. He also used uh, just sayings were always live up to or down to your expectations. That was like his favorite. So that was always in my head. Okay, I have to expect that I'm going to be great. I'm going to be great. But you got to. Then the other ones talk is cheap. So you can say whatever you want, but you got to put in the work. It's all about action. Yeah. And he's like, and you've got to believe in yourself. Cream always rises to the top. I mean, he's got all. <laughs> he just in there. Like, and I think him all the time, and I, it, it stuck with me. That but to do all this, it's all. It all kind of works together. One plays into the next saying. So even if I, if I was, you know, along with stay humble, like no matter what, what kind of success you have, stay humble and keep doing all the things we talked about before and just keep building on it. So those things are, I think that's all learned. And I think I do take pride in working hard and putting in the work because, I mean, that's... I mean, it's your autograph. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, right? it's, it's what, especially in our business, how much work I put in is reflective in my performance. And now I know there are people in our industry that you can shortcut it or you can fake it. I opt not to be that person because at some point I just believe you're going to get caught. Whereas it's just it will doing catch the work. up to you. Yeah, doing the work, put it in, be pri- take pride in what you're doing, and represent yourself. Now all the like words of wisdom because I'm big on words of wisdom mm-hmm. as well, phrases, quotes, mottos uh, that your dad had talked about. Did you appreciate it at the time when he's telling you these things? It took a while. I mean, the the younger ones like it just became it was almost like a drone. Like every almost every soccer game, every basketball game, every baseball game it would be like. Because if you're walking to the car, you know, two home runs, you score 30 points, you have four goals. Hey, great, great game. You're killing it. Da, 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 da. So in the car, stay humble. Doesn't matter. Stay humble. Be humble. Doesn't make, it doesn't matter what happened there. He'll, he was quick to point out if you had five A's, why'd you get a B? If you had four goals, why'd you miss those two? If you had 30 points, why'd you miss two free throws? He was always the, the counterbalance by which society is willing to tell you how good you are to be like, well, you can be better. You can always be better. Which for some kids, it's hard to hear that. And it was hard for me at times. I'd be like, man, this dude, you can't please this guy with anything. <laughs> My mom would just be like, no, he just wants you to be great. And she was always, the, they were a great counterbalance too. Because she's, 
doesn't didn't play sports, can't catch a cold. It's just it's so she but she was always, of course, our greatest support to be like, no, he knows you want to do this and you want to be you want to be great. So he's trying to push you there. And as you get older, you begin to understand. So I think it was probably hitting like 14, 15, 16, 17, starting to be like, oh, okay, well, I think I know what he's saying. That makes more sense. Then I got in college. Like when you started to really go through those things and he's not there every day to remind you that you're that's you find yourself saying the same thing to yourself or your teammates or thinking the same things. You're like, oh man, he was this is this all makes yeah. sense. Because makes sense. you're experiencing things that he has already experienced. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, so he he had those opportunities mm-hmm. and knows what it takes, obviously, I mean to be in a position where the New York Knicks are, yeah. you know, going to Yeah, he, he knew the out. deal, and he was very, uh, he would say it sometimes, he was like, I've already done this! <laughs> exactly, like, that's right. Well, that's what I tell my kids, yeah. too, is that, you know, a lot of times, and even other people that I'm with that are younger, when I talk to them and, like, give an advice, I, I tell them that I'm not, don't view it as a way that I'm talking down to you mm-hmm. and that, oh, I'm better and, you know, and uh, that I have some type of ego or anything. It's just that I've lived life yeah. longer than you. Yep. That's it. That's it. I've done <laughs> it. I've, done, I've had I the tried. experience. So I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to help you. And a lot of times I think younger people, and I'm sure I was one of them at times, you're telling them the experience that you maybe made the wrong decision. Yes. You're trying to tell them to do the, this thing because you know how the other place goes and it's not right. I have touched the hot stove. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you not yeah. to. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So it's, it's, and I hope people... I wish people would appreciate that more, but that's human nature. Mm-hmm. It's life. I did the same thing yeah. when I was at a certain age that I didn't listen to people. Yeah, for you sure. think you're Superman. Exactly. You and think I, you can do anything. I think it's funny when you look at, like, I have two older brothers uh, that are biological brothers and two uh, adopted younger brother and younger sister. But the two ones that are older than me that had a lot of the same skill sets and successes at a young age, the oldest one just listened to what my parents said for the most part. Like we were set up on a good path. They were, had a good plan. We had two parents. We were a fortunate middle-class family. Like they were, their goal is to give you a better life than they had. And if you just follow the plan, it can work out. He's an orthopedic surgeon, ultra successful. The other brother pretty much did opposite of everything they've said. He's gotten to a point now and he's comfortable. It just has taken him years of making decisions that it's like head scratching. Cause he literally was just, they gave him the roadmap and he opted to just not listen. And I think me have been benefiting from watching, oh, seems like he did everything they said. He did most things they did they said not to do. He did them. I'm just going to do what they say. Yeah. And it's, again, just like being able to sit back and the benefit of being a younger sibling with four years in between. So that's, you're kind of seeing the, the cause and effect over a longer period of time between each one. You're like, all right, maybe I should just do what they say. Yes. Because that, that pathway has already been somewhat laid out. Yeah. And so it can be a little again, bit different. Again, you've got to do the work. Like they do that. They got to put in the work. You do all the right things. But if you do, here's where we're trying to. If you say you want to get here, we think we can try to help you get here. Now, how old were you when your parents adopted? Uh, my younger sister's about two and a half years younger than me. Um, so I don't remember her coming to the house. Uh, my little brother's four years younger than me. I do remember that, which was like an interesting experience. Like in yeah, what was itself. that like? It was just like, I, I, you don't, at four years old, it's like my mom's trying to prepare me for it. And she'd be like, and he was just there one day. Like he was there, he was born on <laughs> December 4th. So then he came like in the first weeks, so right before Christmas. I remember the house being decorated and him just being here. I'm like, cool, we got a little brother. Yeah. Um, his name's Darren, but I'm now, but I, I kept calling him Davy Crockett. They went David at first. They changed his name. So we can't, we can't, instead of, instead of me like spanking me repeatedly, which that happened at times too, just be like, can you know what? We don't want other people doing it either. We'll just change your name. So that, that lasted for about three weeks, and they gave him a different name. Now, are you as close with him as your biological? 
Uh, no, it's I think, a little bit different. I don't think it's anything to, not, nothing to do with that necessarily. It is something about some of it's maybe because it's like innately what we're inter- interested in. He was never really into sports. Um, we're close in different things of like just trying to you know talk about different things and have a relationship, but none of our interests are aligned. Aligned, yeah. Um, so it's a little different. And I think he's we still have a very much older brother, younger brother relationship where I try to talk. He calls for advice on this or what should I do with here. Especially since our, our father passed, passed away, he looks for a little bit of that. He also doesn't like to listen to my mom, so it goes by the same theories as before. So he still is not listening to my mom. Just, we're working on that. Um, I think he's actually coming around a bit. Um, and my little sister, and me, just to, it's our relationship's always been, let's say, strained. I don't know. It just never got quite got along uh, the same that well. Um, my oldest brother and I are like we're the same person pretty much, so that makes it easier. He's the best man at my wedding. We're very close. My other brother, we've gotten. Really close. He just has a different life. A lot of kids, and it's been we haven't been able to spend as much time together, um, but we enjoy each other. Like talking, have a lot of different viewpoints on things from whether it's politics or sports or raising kids, which end up in good conversation. They just come from different places. Yeah, and so that I mean, but you guys can lean on each other yeah, yeah. and uh, be able to support each other. For sure, you know, from that perspective. Now, was there a lot of discipline mm-hmm. in your household? Yeah, that was disciplinary, and you got to do things a certain way. I think a little bit of that's the military background, and like once you go to the military, you want to be it's like things kind of regimented. We are, we happen to be me and my oldest brother are just like him, very regimented people. Like prefer to do the same. If I could do the same thing every single day at the same time, <laughs> I'd probably be happy. But having a nine month old is throwing a wrench in that. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, a lot of discipline and how you approach again life and work and how you deal with elders and, and, and respect and all these different things. And yeah, there was. You know, dad, you know, he had to. He had to lay down the law. And I think we were talking about this last night about spanking and things like that. How you, in society, it's, we're, I know I'm not going to do it for my wife. And I'm not saying I'm a proponent of it. I think it was, yeah. it was just never on the table. And I was like, but I needed to be spanked. Like, I kind of look back. I'm like, I'm like there were things like I wasn't going to listen. Like, until I saw him come around, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. Now I'm going to listen. Yeah, so now I'm going like, to that, that was a little different. Like, and my mom's five three and he's six four so she's not the most imposing figure and i learned i could run away from her at like 10 years old <laughs> can't run from him to jump like six stairs at one time like, oh, yeah. um but i look back again those things i think all helped me kind of understand you know how to how to behave how to how to operate in the right way it just took some time and i know people don't like to hear that but i think it was good for me yeah. personal decision for each family that's, that's right no i i was in that generation where there was some spanking and yeah. There are times I did need it as well. Yeah. Uh, no fun, but yeah. uh, that's just part of it. How did you and your wife meet? Uh, in the last marketing agency I, I worked at, she sat right behind me. Um, did not enjoy me at all <laughs> at the very beginning. Partially because I was uh, I hated my life. So the people used to joke around work, there was Monday Dallin, and there was like Friday Dallin. Monday I was just, <laughs> just not pleasant. Like, just don't talk to me. Which is not normally how I am. So it was like, that was, yeah, that you was seem hard. very bubbly. And yeah, I think was, maybe bubbly is not the right I'll, word. I'll take bubbly. It's yeah, fine. No, you you got a very outgoing personality. Yeah, and I think Mondays I would just be salty. Like each day I'd be better. So I think Friday I'd come in partially because Thursday night I'd probably was still a little inebriated from Thursday night's activities. <laughs> and then Friday I would just be so amped for the weekend. And people were like, who is this guy? Yeah. So um, yeah, at first it took some 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 growing on her that, that she, you know, took a couple months. Then we Did she feel that up. you were arrogant or something? Or just... Yeah, that's because I think part of the issue was like we're, I'm three years older than her, but in that agency at the time I was 27 and I was, because I was reporting to the CEO and working with our executive team and I was technically part of the executive team. It was like I would, it was partially a conscious decision. I'm like, so if all the other people that are account executives or account directors in the same age range from 25 to 30 are going out and getting hammered with each other, I'm not going to go. I'll go hang out with that group that's kind of running the agency 
and do that or go somewhere else. But I kind of separated myself from the group. So for her and for other people who are our age, like, he thinks he's better than us. I'm like, no, I kind of just hate my job, but want to do my job well, want to get paid well, because I'm planning to quit this job in about nine months. I'm on a clock here. So I've stayed pretty focused in that. So there was that part of it, as well as just my general attitude toward things at times that were just, just not good. So how did you win her over? Time? Actually, basketball was involved in that. So she went to Kansas, went to KU, um, and was a big KU fan, obviously. And they played VCU in that tournament. That was the year VCU beat them. And that do you was remember like that? Saturday night. And she was overserved, I believe. But like we were taught at that point, toward like the last couple weeks before we actually hung, that's when we hung out. But like after out of the office, we would go like we want to run down and grab some lunch or something. So we would walk around the block at times. You get to start to kind of know people and break down some barriers a little bit. It was like the liquid courage and the loss which contributed to that for her to like send me an email because she didn't even have my phone number. But I happened to look at my phone because it was still like work in New York. You don't really stop in like a service industry. And I look at my phone, and she's like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm at Ainsworth. Come hang out. <laughs> so that started. I was like, all right. But that was, that, that's, that's how that initial interaction took place, and we kind of just built from there. And yeah, so she, there was some spark there initially. She not in the very want, beginning. Well, it took, it took like that three months. No, no, that's yeah, for, that, yeah. for her to email you. Oh, no, no. I, I see. I see. I wore yeah. on you. It's just yeah, exactly. that, that first month, was she, there was no wearing. There was, there was no, just okay. absolute dislike of me. There was no two ways about it. Oh, that was, that was part of the reason. She probably hates if I told this story, but she wrote... We had a Goldman Sachs pitch, and she wrote Goldman Sachs, like the, the S-A-K-S, and like sent the invite out. And I'm like, Sachs? Like Sachs Fifth Avenue? So I'm, of course, I'm judging her. She likes day one. She hates. She's like, who is? Shut up. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I was just like, oh. So, yeah. So they, at the beginning, there was no love. It just took, after about six weeks, I started to get in the mix. And after another six weeks, she sent that email, probably. How long did you date before you got engaged? Uh, got engaged in 2015. So we dated for about... Four years. Oh, so, yeah. yeah that's a long time. Long time. I, I, moved, I left New York uh, to take that job at uh, NBC Sports Network in Boston. Or yeah, CBS so it was long NBC. distance. If we did long distance for about 10 months. I would drive back to New York. I would finish my show at like Tuesday. My days off Wednesday, Thursday. Finish the show at like Tuesday, 1 a.m. Drive in the car. Get to New York by like 4. She's flying down yes. those roads. Because nobody's on them. This is the one time <laughs> no, ever, nobody's in that I-95 corridor. We'd get down to New York. Stay there for two nights, drive back in the morning, Friday morning to Boston, do a show Friday at night, and then just kind of rinse, repeat in the off season. Basketball season's harder because traveling a lot. But excuse me, you know, that was a tough. That was that was that was hard. Like she didn't like Boston, didn't like going up there. She came up like once or twice when I was there, and then we. But then she moved up there. Um, now obviously for me, she left the city she loved to a place she didn't like, um, and that was that was a tough transition. Oh, I bet it was yeah. for her. But what did she think about this whole decision? of you quitting your job and all the chips are in to focus on what you were most passionate about. Yeah, she was, she was in the, I asked her this question the other day, I'm like, what did you really think? Because in the beginning I quit, we, we were kind of like dating, I mean, we were, I would say like hanging out, like we weren't, it was very early on, so we started, the first time we hung was March, this is August, so just, it was kind of very casual or whatever, um, and I quit my job, so I was like, what did you think? She's like, at the time, I didn't really, I was like, all right, this is what he wants to do. But like, she's like, I didn't think about it in terms of me. I just thought of it in terms of you. Yeah. Was, At the it. time, she didn't really think it would impact her. Yeah. She was like, all right, cool. Other than like when we hang out and maybe if I'm willing to pick up a check or not, <laughs> maybe, maybe that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's about it. Because you're not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, we're trying to work on this money thing. Um, but then once we started to do it, and as we get, became closer, she became like my biggest you know, champion and support system. And uh, there's no way I would have this opportunity. It wasn't for her. Like, there's no way I would be at this point. Just the the unwavering support, whether it's actually saying things, 
emotionally just being like, it's going to work out, and, or, and confidence that it's going to work out. And then the all the things like from a family perspective, when we start to try to have a wedding and have a baby and all the stuff, I mean, all the things she's done from a physical standpoint now is is just off the charts. Oh, it's amazing what uh, a wife can do. I'm in the same yeah. position, just, just with three kids and the commitment and sacrifice that yep. my wife did as well. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling when you think about it. What about in terms of, are you wanting a big family? Four or five kids? No, I don't or? think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I was like, two, maybe three. If we're, if we're fortunate, we'll see how it all works out. Um, yeah, if we have two and three kids, we'd be, that would be, that'd be great by me. Going back to your passion, sports, basketball, all of that. But can you even sum up what sports has meant to you in your life? I don't know if it's possible because it's like it's it's been the prism by which I've viewed everything I've done, whether it be playing the sports as a young kid, having the opportunity to go to the school I went to because of sports, learning the things you in terms of normal walks of life. When I went to the work world, I was in the hardest adjustments. Is like. The lack of accountability in our society is, is, is unbelievable. Like, nobody's willing to be, I was like an outlier for like, oh, it's my bad. Like, I'll fix the, the deck. Everybody else wants to be like, no, actually, J- James told me to put this slide in to do the, everybody, everybody wants to point a finger. I'm like, wait, you just told me you, this was your opinion. You, now you're just lying to the group. I, got, <laughs> I, I blew my mind. But because of sports, like, I understood a level of, like, you have to be accountable. You had once, accountability. Yeah, once you're accountable, you're able to look yourself in the mirror and be like, this is what I need to get better at. And I think that's the most important like thing I've learned in the professional world I've taken from sports is that desire, especially in this industry, it's a subjective industry. People are watching and assessing you to be, take it with an athlete perspective and be like, I need feedback. I don't care what I do well. I don't need the pat on the back. I need to know what needs to get better. Like, and that's, that's the type of approach that I think athletes have and you get that through sports. I don't think people in general get that comfortable with it or, want, or, or look at it like that. That if you don't tell me what I need to get better at, it's going to be hard for me to always self-assess and find a way to get better. Yeah, and so you could take coaching better Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, I preferred that. My, my high school coaches always say, like, don't listen to how loud I'm saying something. Listen to what I'm saying. And if I stop yelling at you, be worried. Because now <laughs> I don't care. Like, that's the, then I just, I've given up on you. So that was, uh, I've kind of taken that, it's like, I want to be coached in everything I do. And that's, maybe that's a crutch in some regard, like leaning on somebody else to try to make you better, as well as trying to do it yourself, but always kind of looking at other people to help you get there. Um, but that, I think, is kind of shaped through that prism of sports again, that like everything kind of has that mentality. Like, what do you need to do to prepare to win? What is winning? Is winning, you know, changing my daughter's diaper successfully? Sometimes that's Sometimes, a huge yes. win. So it's like, whatever those steps are, whatever it is going into that to, to try to win the day, win the hour, win the game, win, win the broadcast, whatever it may be, I think sports has pretty much shaped the way I view everything. And particularly in terms of basketball, because I have the most insight and understanding of that and how that team structure works and coaching structure works, that that's kind of how I view my life. What about you being a coach? I know you had talked about yeah. doing some training and yeah, they, other players. There were opportunities. Um, I was just at a wedding with uh, Joe Jones was there, the guy that was coach, coached three years, and he was like telling the story. He called me to want me to coach. It's probably like my first or second year out of school, probably. And uh, and the, an Ivy League at the time, and still is the case, I believe. You can only have yeah, you can only have two paid assistants, and then a third volunteer assistant and the director of basketball operations. Whereas other conferences, you can have pretty much as many paid assistants as you want. So those two coveted jobs, those are coveted jobs in the Ivy League. And that volunteer job is you, you got to do it. You're doing a full-time job. It's not getting paid. That's you right. Have, you, you're really committed to it. 
and I obviously committed my whole life to basketball and my, my life in that program, especially to him and would run through a wall for that guy. I love him. And he was just like, all right, I want you to come coach. I'm like, cool. I'm only going to be paid one of the paid assistants. He's like, you've never had any experience. I'm like, I don't care. That's that, if you want me to coach, that's the deal. Like, that's my bargain. And he was just position. like, he's like, let me see what I can do. He's like, he's like, I can't do it this year. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to coach. It's like, it's that easy. Um, I had a real interest in it. And at the time, I still thought that was possible because I was still just in marketing. The broadcasting stuff was just a side job still. So it was a dream. And I was like, I wanted to be in something more, you know, fulfilling and interesting and things that I really cared about and passion for. Um, but thought, you know, I can't not get paid. So I wasn't willing to do that uh, for it. And I still thought at that point in time, too, it was probably going into my like third year out of school. I still thought maybe this dream can be realized. Like, let's not. And then as he came calling a couple years later, it was the same thing. I'm like, well, I think I really have a shot here now. I might make this happen. And then Kyle Smith, who was the coach at Columbia, we had a similar talk. Uh, same thing. He was more willing to, to make the payment. Like, he was more on that aligned. But then I was... I had already quit my job. I think I was in the second year. Yeah, you're too like, far into now it. No, I'm like, wait a minute. I just got this NBC thing. Like, I love, I love the way you coach. I like what our team's doing. I think I could be a good coach. But I also, this the part of me was, I think I have this dream that I could do. And I didn't want to commit my entire life to the game again, which I already did for the first 22 years of my life, essentially. Especially the last eight, from 14 to 22. That's all I wanted to do. It's all I thought about. It's all I did. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that and hitch my wagon. It's hard to say this, but it's true. To decisions of 17 to 22 year olds first the 17 year olds make the right decision to come play for you and then make the decisions and develop them this is a, an incredibly hard job and That's a job right. a lot of times you have control but you don't have control and i was just like maybe i don't and, and i know i would put everything in it so my girlfriend now wife at the time she bought in for something i don't know if she's going to buy in for that because i mean the <laughs> coach's life you when you're not the head coach you just do what's completely different it. yeah it's it so so it was, it was a different type of work and a different type of approach where it kept me, I would have given my life to it and been so committed to it that I think I would have let other things I had wanted to have happen pass by the wayside. Whereas I thought there was a dream opportunity that I could, I could have it all. I could have the job I want and I can have the family I want. And this, this can happen in a way if I keep pursuing it and working, there's a shot that can work. And if it didn't, then I was willing to go back to marketing or, co- or try to coach but I wanted to try to see that through before I jump. Yeah, in. see what see what happens. Yeah. Then, from a basketball perspective, two basketball guys talking. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I'm more in the the Michael Jordan era. Yeah, who's the goat? That's my guy. I'm obsessed with him since, <laughs> I, was, since I was three years old. That was my guy, and he's always been that way. And now part of it is how amazing he was. Part of it is you look back. It was a hell of a marketing machine Nike had. And they yes. literally, like, all our brains work the same way. We only seem to remember all the great shots he made, not the passes, not the, not the shots he missed at big times, not punching Jed Bushel in the face. <laughs> like, we, we tend to forget those things. Um, but, yeah, he was, he's, in my mind, will always be the, the epitome of a competitor, the success of the, the, the North Star of what you want to be on the basketball court. The rest of life is different, but we're on the basketball court. He's, he's the guy. Agreed 100%. Last thing. Words of wisdom, you shared some already from your dad, but what about you in terms of are there any ones that really stick out that phrases, quotes, mottos, whatever, or just life advice that you hone in on? Yeah, I mean, I will always steal his live up to or down to your expectations. I think you have to be, you, you, things start with self-belief. And if you believe you can do it and you expect yourself to perform great, then you can do it. If you, as soon as you be, begin to think you're going to perform below average, you're going to live down to those expectations. You're going to hit that subpar mark that you don't want to hit. Um, so I think of that all the time. Approach everything with you know, 100% straight A's. Everything. That is the only way to operate that I'm going to achieve these things. 
And yes, if you fall short of those things, that's where it takes in the, the learning and self-assessment. How do I get better and how do I improve myself? But you start there. Um, the other thing it is like cliche, and we were talking about a bit off air, but if you have a passion, you have to follow that passion and you have to hustle, especially in today's world and how, how things are set up like economically. Like people don't have jobs from 22 to, to 65 anymore. This is the hustler's world. If you're able to put everything you have into what you want to do and see the opportunity and push that opportunity and try to find any way to make that thing happen. Everybody you talk, anybody you talk to in the industry, stay connected to them. Anybody that has, has is willing to lift their hand out to say, hey, I can help you, take the help and, and, and thank them along the way, but take what they, they're willing to impart on you, whether it's wisdom, a job, you know, a place to put your head for a night because you haven't slept somewhere in three days, whatever it may be. Um, but the, like, stay undeterred in that passion um, and just, and, and like, there's nothing worse, I think, than having the regret. You look back and say, I, I, didn't, I didn't execute, I didn't try as much as I wanted. So if you have that passion, you've got to try to follow it. And if you don't, there's nothing wrong with falling short. Because a lot of times these things you're aiming for at 18 to 22, 25 years old are not easy things to attain. So you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid of failure. Just go all in. And if you're willing to put all the work in and, see, and, and hustle as hard as you can, more often than not, you'll succeed. Agreed. And it might not be just happening overnight. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> might take a decade, but you got to It might take two. But <laughs> if, you, if you believe that you're better at 45 finally getting to do the thing you wanted to do than doing something you didn't want to do from 25 to 45, then it's worth doing it. How many times do we see people that all of a sudden have success and then when you hear their backstory, it took them 15 years to get there. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's the 15-year yeah. overnight success. Exactly. That's yeah. what happened. I mean, I think Morgan Freeman, like, first one, like, was, the, like, a big actor, like, 49. <laughs> he's, 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 he went through almost <laughs> half his life in relative anonymity, and all of a sudden, driving his daisy, and he's the glory and all these other things. So you look at people that are, like, the highest part of their profession, and it takes a really, really long time to get there, and that's part of the process. You have to be willing to, to sacrifice, to invest in yourself, to, at times, enjoy the, the difficult challenge, because... What's a, uh, what's a league of their own? If it ain't hard, everyone would do it. That's hard right. is what makes it great. Like if you want it to be, it's anything worth doing is going to be hard to do, and you got to be willing to put it in. Without a doubt, Dallin, thank you so much. Pleasure, Richmond. Thanks, greatly appreciate it. While there will always be ups and downs in life, no matter what you're involved in and how you manage those expectations within those peaks and valleys, is obviously very important. But as Dallin heard so many times from his dad, it's those expectations you set for yourself that are just as important because being able to truly manage those ups and downs starts with self-belief. Now that finishes episode 117 and more of our content can be found by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.